podcast world. What's up, Chad Belling? Back at you, another episode. Thank you all so much for joining us right here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. We got another stellar episode coming your way. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you again by our friends out of Lynchburg, Tennessee, the home of Jack Daniels. Doesn't get any more American than that. Enjoy it responsibly, but don't forget to enjoy it. Whether you just got dumped, whether you're celebrating your first duck, whether you're celebrating a nice steak on the Traeger, do it responsibly, but there's nothing wrong with pairing that sour mash, Tennessee whiskey, Jack Daniels with your favorite food or your favorite good time with your favorite buddies or your favorite girl or your favorite man. Just do it and keep supporting them. They're as American as they can get, and they support our culture of being an outdoorsman and a provider. Thank you, Jack Daniels, for everything you do for us here at all of our brands. I'm fired up to have a National Football League professional football player, a lineman, a dude that could literally tear 99% of this listening audience's head off if he wanted to. David Andrews from the New England Patriots. He's his, You're a big teddy bear, though, right, buddy? You don't like to brawl. You're just a good football player. That's right. Just in between the lines. <laughs> and speaking of in between the lines, you know what I always find interesting is that the receiver goes out and he catches a pass and he gets smoked, right? And and the linebacker comes in and goes helmet to helmet and, and makes a great hit. I don't think a lot of people that aren't like real like into athletics or like study the game of football, and I'm not saying that I do, and I'm not a big football fan, and we're going to get into this, and I'm going to tell you why, and I just want your opinion on some of this, but it's amazing the punishment that linemen go through because they are literally going at it every play. Is this fair to say? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough position, man, and uh, it's one that I love and enjoy. Uh, you know, no one really knows who we are. Um, we're kind of behind the scenes on a lot of stuff, and uh, don't really get the you know flashy endorsement deals or anything like that. That you know maybe these big time receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks do. But you know, it's, it's something I think very a cool position and special position to do that, and. Um, you know, it's just, it's an unbelievable experience, I think, if you get to experience it. So what, what is your exact responsibility, David? Well, the first thing every play is got to get the football to the quarterback, be in the center. That's the most important thing. Without that, ain't nothing going to happen. So uh, that's step number one. That's probably the hardest job of the center is the snap, um, you know, and then having another 300-plus pound man in front of you. Uh, so, you know, Usually, as a center, your responsibility is obviously the snap, but then you're also kind of the more uh, cerebral guy and trying to figure out stuff and whether it's uh, setting up the protections or run plays. So uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, I think offensive linemen are uh, some of the smartest guys on the football team. I could not argue that. I was really good friends with a guy named Tony Cesario that um, was an All-American. You know Tony? Yeah. I don't know him personally. I know who I've heard his name. So you know the story of Tony and how he passed yeah. away. And, and um, he was a dear friend of mine. We were partners in a business in Colorado called Bandit Hunts at one time. He was the boots on the ground with all the farming, you know, all the contacts up there, being a two-time All-American at CSU. But just seeing what he would go through. Um, being a lineman and not you know, getting the big endorsement deals and kind of be in that quiet position that's ma- doing a lot of the work, you have a lot of responsibility. Do you take the same level of responsibility and pride that you've had to do in protecting Tom Brady, who is probably like, he's one of the most more notable names in the game. You had to, you protected him for season after season after season for the past six years. Did you take the same pride in high school, the same pride in college? You're a Georgia Bulldog. Do you take the same pride in protecting the guys back then? And the easy answer is yes. But does a, a certain level of responsibility come when you have the Tom Brady behind you? I mean, I think overall, yeah, like you said, the obvious answer is yes, especially being a center. Um, you know, uh, the quarterback is uh, the quarterback center relationship is pretty close and intimate at times. Uh, you know, they're getting up, uh, getting up your butt a little bit and they're putting their hands, you know, you know, a lot of places, you know, people would think would probably be pretty weird, but, uh, you know, so it's an intimate relationship to some extent, but I think you take pride in it, you know, whoever it is back there. Um, you know, my, and my high school quarterback are still best friends to this day. And I take a lot of pride, you know, and trying to protect him and, you know, all those things. And I think it's just, there's something about an offensive lineman that somewhere deep down, engraved to them as that kind of natural protector. Uh, you know, and it's, it's those guys are putting a lot of trust in you so they can look downfield, make the throws they have to. Uh, but, you know, obviously, uh, 
you know, when you talk about like Tom Brady, you know, you draft, you know, you hear every, all these young kids draft, I think, tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it's tomorrow, like, who, yeah. who do you want to sack? And it's obviously Tom Brady. You know, every young kid that comes in the league, new player, <clears throat> that's going to be, you know, the next great pass rusher wants to sack Tom Brady. So why, and, though? Can you tell me what, like, have you ever heard a reason? I mean, it's just the best to ever do it. You know, uh, you know, it's just killing a rare duck, killing a big buck. You know, everyone, you want to do it just because it's rare. Not a lot of people get to do it. And, you know, will there ever be a Tom Brady? Whoever knows. And I think people, you know, just like all of us who played with them to say, you know, that was my teammate, you know, versus all the guys to say, hey, I beat Tom Brady. Hey, I sacked him. I picked him off. You know, the list goes on and on. So um, whenever that is an aspect, I think, you know, there's a heightened sense of people wanting to hurt him and get after him and sack him. Now that you put it that way, I want to sack him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know? <laughs> so a lot of times when you watch the draft and obviously the draft is going to be different tomorrow for known reasons of the virus and, and hopefully you guys have a season and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Every, you know, all things are, all signs are pointing that way, but things are just weird right now. And I don't know, we're going to get into that a little bit, but I didn't want to concentrate a lot of the conversation on it because guys that make their living playing professional sports and their and their season gets canceled like these baseball players right now or if you're a senior wrestler in the NCAAs and your finals oh. get I mean just what a shitty deal right so I, I want to talk about it a little bit but I also you know I, I just kind of like to live in your shoes man because you're doing something that's 16 times a year it's 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 I don't, it's probably the most watched sport in the continent of the United States. I know worldwide soccer is, I know NASCAR is big, but the NFL audience is, is, you know, before the, the, before what, you know, it happened with what's his name. I don't even remember the guy's name on the 49ers, but I don't, I don't say that um, it, with in joking. I just, I didn't respect a whole lot was going down there. I tried to understand the why in it, but it seems like the audience base kind of was disrupted for a minute, but it's a big fan base. Um, yeah. A quarterback goes up in the draft, comes out of a D1 school, and you're like, oh, this is going to be the godsend, right? And then he comes in the league, and he never matures. He never pans out. I think, didn't Tom Brady get drafted in the sixth round or the fourth round? I mean, he was not a high draft pick, right? Yeah, I think he was a sixth rounder. Sixth um, rounder. Yeah. But, you know, that stuff happens. You know, uh, when I came out of college or when I was going into college, I was not a high uh, recruit, you know, back then. Um and I played with a lot of guys who were a lot higher recruits. And now some of them were the Todd Gurley's, you know, you know, one of the best college football players, you know, or the Jarvis Jones, who was a first rounder and had a good career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, I played with a lot of guys that were like that, but then there was a lot of guys that were supposed to be the next great. And then they never played it down in the NFL and never really had a successful career at Georgia. And the same things happened in the NFL. You see it every year, you know, these you know guys get, they're called bust and, you know, they get drafted supposed to be the godsend of the franchise and they just fizzle out. And, you know, it's, it's so hard to tell what, you know, what happens, whether it's injuries or whatnot. Um, you know, it's kind of, it is a, like a crapshoot sometimes, you know, there's a lot of great picks, you know, and the, and the guys that turn out to be, you know, the Tom Brady's in the sixth round. And then there's guys in the first round that turn out to be the, you know, great first rounders. And, you know, then there's a lot of guys on each team like me who were undrafted, um, you know, basically just tried out and made the team and grinded their way and, you know, have successful long careers. I don't see a whole lot of NFL scouts missing it when you're playing like with the Wolverines or a big time college program. I would think it would be hard for an NFL scout to miss somebody like there's probably got them a pretty good hold of their radar. Right. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, there is, but there's also centers that were drafted before me. That aren't in the league, but anymore. that's what I'm. That's my point, David. Is that what did you see with Brady going from a six rounder and you admitting that you know you were you were drafted you were drafted as high as some center? So what leadership qualities? What tenacity? Yeah. What do you guys have that takes you to that level of Pro Bowl? But more importantly, Super Bowl championships, conference championships, MVP type seasons, and you just said it yourself, that freaking bullseye on his back and you were responsible for protecting that bullseye and covering up that scope. What did, what, what did you see in Brady and did that transition into your mindset and make you a better player seeing what a stud he was? Did you, uh, did you see this Michael Jordan, the, the Bulls documentary that ESPN did? Have you seen they came out with the first part of it uh, Sunday? No, I have not. 
Um, so I watched it. Uh, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I have a lot of respect for, you know, the great athletes of the world and watching it and seeing some of the stuff they showed of Michael Jordan and how people described him. You know, obviously I don't know Michael Jordan, but now it's getting to share a locker room with Tom Brady. I'm sitting there like, holy crap, that was just the Michael Jordan of football. You know, that was just, there's this, with those rare talents and the people like that, there's this, you can't put your finger on it. You can't describe it. And I, I truly believe you're just born with it or you're not, you know, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I think Michael Jordan was super talented. I think there's probably been some more talented basketball players than him, but the, the work ethic, the mental capacity, the, you know, to not get tired, to not lose to, you know, just this won't take no for an answer kind of mentality. Uh, I think everyone has it, but I think those real superstars, you know, the Kobe Bryant's, the Michael Jordan's, Tom Brady's, they just have a little bit more of it than some of us. And uh, seeing Tom do that, his leadership, uh, the standard he set every day, uh, how he demanded the best, not only out of each other, but himself, um, you know, as a leader and learning from that, you know, you learned what the standard was and what it looks like and how it's supposed to be done. Um, and as a young player, I think if you soak that up, it can really have a big impact on you on how you approach the game, how you approach your workouts, your health, your diet, you know, your film study, what every aspect of your game is important. And he really preached that and lived it. And so, you know, as a, you know, now going into my sixth year, I, you know, something I've tried to soak up as much as I could. And I would never bring you on a podcast and just talk about Tom Brady because you're you're just as important to me as Tom Brady would be. I'm not trying to sound like, hey, I got David on here to talk about how awesome yeah. it was to be. I was just simply, and I'm simply interested in, you know, what a kid like you learned coming into that organization yeah. and seeing that because when he came out of college, he didn't even start every game in in, in Michigan at, at Michigan. He did he didn't wasn't a high draft pick. He wasn't a prodigy. So yeah. he had to have something that you saw like when you watch the Jordan, you're like that was Jordan. Jordan was a failure. Jordan w had to take, go into the gym every day and become way better and better. And when he said it himself, he goes, I never succeeded till I learned how to fail. When he went into baseball, he looked like he'd never swung a baseball bat, but he just kept working and working. The next thing you know, he's starting in double A for reasons, you know, obviously he's Michael Jordan, but he is a, he was a good enough athlete to become Air Jordan, like the most recognizable athlete of all time, probably yeah. in the world. I mean, he's to this day, 15 years retired or whatever. He's still doing the amount of revenue with Nike and, 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 and Air J yeah, Jump. I mean, jump. the brand's unreal. It's amazing brand, right? So, and so is Brady. Like Brady is so, he comes across to me as so, um, organized do you learn these traits from him are you watching your diet they, they talk about his off-season mental preparation his off-season or his scouting and his and his breaking down a film um he's his diet like i said his alcohol consumption his workout program is he a fun haver is he down to earth does he ever break loose of the tom brady under the shoulder pads and have a good time i would say yes i think i saw him at a ufc fight once and it looked like he was having a good time but do you did you learn all of these traits and, and start putting them into your your own notebook? You know, I think, I think there's a thing too. Um, the organization, the Patriots as a whole is possibly one of the greatest organizations. Obviously I haven't been involved in other teams, uh, but just as an organization from Mr. Kraft, you know, and how he conducts himself and how he runs the business and then coach Belichick, you know, a lot of those things, those mentalities that Tom has and uh, habits and things like that, you know, like I said, he might've been born with them, but I think he was groomed, you know, under this coach Belichick and under the assistant coaches we've had here. Um, you know, I've been so blessed to be in this organization and learn so much, you know, from not only, you know, you know, coach Belichick and Tom, but you see it in other guys that I really respect on our football team that maybe other people don't know about, but Devin McCourty, uh, one of the best safeties to play in the game, in my opinion, Matthew Slater, in my opinion, should be a Hall of Famer, uh, and he plays special teams. But he's one of the best leaders, and how he approaches it every day. You know, it's something special, I think, and it's not just one person. And Tom, you know, Tom was our leader. He was, you know, our quarterback. But you see it so much in just people in the organization and how they carry themselves. And uh, you know, I think just being involved in that organization and the guys in the locker room. You know, Tom is the standard and he set the standard while he was there. 
and it, but it trickled down to so many guys and it's just hard not to be that way in that building. So when you see a guy reach that part in his career, David, as far as like, Hey, you know, can he go another year? He's in his forties and he, um, you know, if we make the playoffs, can he play a full 18, 19 game schedule? Are you, is your mindset like, please, Mr. Kraft, who, the GM, do whatever it takes to sign this man. He is going to lead us to the promised land again. Or are you at the mindset like, you know, as far as my age and my maturity level goes with the New England Patriots organization, maybe it is time for him to make his exit, go live his golden years in Tampa Bay, and then be able to be able to, you know, get another arm in there to carry the organization. Or did you cry when he left? Did you actually shed a tear physically when you found out Tom was leaving New England? You know, the one thing that's so different about the NFL than college is the turnover. You know, obviously, you know, you got four years with a guy and transferring wasn't as big when I was at Georgia as it is now. And these, other, you know, you hear kids about nowadays, you know, and so it was like, you know, guy's going to be here three or four years and then they're gone. And that's just life. But in the NFL, it's so different because, you know, it's every year. I mean, the turnover every year is just mind blowing. And, uh, you know, and it's, it sucks when that happens. You know, I know, uh, when I came into the league, uh, well, the veteran of the offensive line was a guy named Nate Solder, uh, played in two Super Bowls with Nate one, one, um, and then Nate left and, you know, had to go start a, you know, another career somewhere. And, uh, he's with the giants now. And, uh, that sucked to me because I looked up to him a lot. He was kind of the leader in our room. Um, and it was kind of a void that, you know, I was going to have to step into as a young player to be the leader in the room. And, uh, you know, so it was kind of a interesting transition. We bring a new guy in, uh, Trent Brown in 2018. Uh, Trent was from San Francisco. He's another Georgia kid played at Florida. Uh, and we had the best, we just had a great unit in 2018 and Trent left in 2018, you know, to go sign a deal and, you know, it all sucked and we hated it. And, you know, it just happens every year, you know, guys leave, guys get traded, guys get cut, guys get retired. And that's just part of this business, unfortunately. Um, you know, and, and you don't fault anyone for making a decision, you know, uh, the Patriots there's, you know, we didn't sign back Nate Solder. We didn't sign back Trent Brown. I wish we had both of them. Uh, you know, when they were leaving, you know, you never want to see a guy you win with leave, uh, especially when you just come off for a Super Bowl. Um, you know, but, at the end of the day, it's a business and you learn that very quickly. It's not high school football. You know, everyone is out there playing just because they love the game. It's a business and people have families and people have to make the best decisions for themselves. And the organization has to make best decisions for the organization. You're pretty well-spoken dude for alignment. Like that's another, I think that's another I told you stereotype. We're smart guys. That's like a stereotype though, that you wouldn't think a alignment and they are there. Like every lineman I've ever met is so well-spoken and I'm not saying they all are, but you know, like a Dexter Manley interview back in the day. I mean, do yourself a favor and go watch a couple of those. That's a Dexter Manley joke. You, you know who that is, right? From the Washington Redskins back in the day. I do not. I'll have to look that one up. Look up Dexter Manley, M-A-N-L-E-Y interviews. And you, right. and he was a joy, but, um, you know, when, when I, I went from high school to play in college baseball, and when I got there, I was like, oh, man, I might not be suited for this. These guys are all way better than me. Because you went from being a big fish in a small pond to being a fish in a pond with a bunch of other fish that, could, that are just as good, if not way better than you. What is it like going from a high-powered D1 SEC powerhouse like Georgia that, that is playing against the Bamas and the LSUs, I mean, the Razorbacks, which if you there, but I mean, Alabama and LSU are arguably the best college football programs the last 20 years. 15 yeah. years and George is always right there. Okay. Yeah. So what is it like going from that running out of the tunnel there? Is it a completely level, different level of energy in the NFL and a different level of talent? Well, I think it's two different things. Uh, SEC football is insane. SEC football rules, uh, rules the South. You know, that's what the South revolves around is SEC football. And, um, you know, I, you know, I got friends and stuff getting married right now. And it's always a joke if you get married on a Georgia football game, but up here, it's a joke if you get married at a new England Patriot football game or during a new England Patriot football game, you know, and no one, you're not supposed to do that. Um, so I, I've been fortunate to get to play in two really cool environments in the sense of fan base and, uh, community. Um, 
you know, I living where we live now, you know, Boston is such a sports town. Um, so it's like being back in Athens, Georgia and, you know, where the sports ruled. And, uh, so that's really cool. But you know, I think one of the big differences is in, yeah, in G- Georgia, we played some really good teams, but it was, you know, maybe four or five games a year where it was like, wow, this guy's going to be really good. This guy's going to be playing on Sunday. Whereas when you're in the NFL, even if you're playing a, you know, the worst team in your division, there's probably a pro bowler on the other side of the ball from you. And if there's not a pro bowler, he's probably making $16 million because he's that good, you know, or whatever. He's one of the highest paid guys. So it's just each week in the NFL is a grind. And I didn't realize that until, you know, I got to my rookie year and, you know, we played, we opened with the Pittsburgh Steelers, obviously historic franchise. Um, you know, and I was just like, man, it's the Steelers. And then, uh, who do we play week two? I don't even know who we played. It might've been someone struggling. And I was kind of like, Oh, like good. We play the Steelers got through that one, one, maybe this, this team won't be as good. And it was, it was just a, a drag out fight. And I just, that was when I kind of realized like, dude, everybody in this league is so good. And it's not, you know, you can never take a week off. Uh, you can never take a playoff because someone's going to embarrass you. They're just too good. You can't, and I'm not a good enough player. There are guys in this league that can just survive off their athletic talent and pure ability. Um, but I'm just not a good enough player to do that. So, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed on national TV. What are you good at? What makes you a starting center in the NFL? Are you obviously intelligence and understanding no. the playbook is big. Yeah. But are uh, you, can you manhandle a nose guard or a nose guard, you know, a guy coming at you that weighs 320? No, I'm not, you know, there, I can't really put, you know, 295 pounds at most. Uh, so I'm not someone that's just going to manhandle a mall, a guy, uh, you know, I might be that, uh, you know, kind of annoying, you know, like a beagle hunting a rabbit. You know what I mean? Just nipping at them, chasing them, you know, always getting in the way, just, uh, you know, but I'm not going to be a, uh, you know, Rottweiler, you know, demolishing somebody. So that's not how I play. I, I try to play as physical as I can, uh, as tough as I can, gritty as I can, uh, you know, but yeah, I'm a 6'2", 295 guy. So that doesn't seem that big. That just doesn't no, seem it's that, not big that big. Out there. So you got to have some unbelievable strength. You got to be meaner than, I mean, like you, you, you don't look mean, but I, I mean, you look like you could get mean if needed. Yeah. I try to play a little pissed off. So like I said, I, uh, you know, I had an uncle who was a head coach in the NFL for a while and grew up with him being a head coach and uh you know a lot of his players I would see and they'd be so nice to me off the field and then I'd be in training camp and they'd be getting in fights you know I'm seven eight years old like oh my gosh this is crazy you know they're still out there throwing punches at each other in training camp and I'm just but then they're coming off the field and like messing around with me and like picking on me and playing with me and so it was just like you know mind-blowing and as I got older he just you know talked and would tell me things, you know, and about how there's just two different people when you get in between, you know, the lines. And I would see him yell and scream and, you know, jump down his players' throats and then come over here and just be as nice as he could to me. And he even had that persona as a coach. So, uh, you know, something I tried to learn to develop and still apply to this day. I love hearing that. And thinking about how mean the sport can be, you see injuries. There's been noted injuries like the Joe Theismann leg, the concussions, oh. the whole study around the helmets and the injuries and the longevity of football players, short-term memory, long-term memory. I'm sure you're a ladies' man. I'm sure you probably have a nice little Southern girl girlfriend. You might be married already. Are you planning on having kids in your life? Yeah, we. Uh, I've been married for three years now. Uh, my wife's father actually is a game warden back home in Georgia. He's Uh-oh. retired, but yeah. Don't be an outlaw. Just no, because no, he's a game I to, warden. I got to stay on my – no, he'd arrest me overnight. He wouldn't care. <laughs> he'd uh, finally get back at you for taking his daughter on a date. Yeah, no, but me and him get along great. But, yeah, we're uh, not anytime soon right now. We're just still enjoying uh, being buried and obviously with the state of things. Um, this is my last year on my contract, so we don't know, you know, we'll be here next year or somewhere else. So hopefully uh, get some more, you know, solid footing, kind of figure out what, what our deal is long-term and uh, go from there. So you're a dad now, five years down the road, you got a son. I've heard neurologists and brain surgeons and high level MDs. I've heard ex NFL football players, but I've also heard both sides of this. 
where does David Andrews fit on? Are you going to let your son play football after you've been through what you've been through? And I, I know the easy answer is, dude, the team, the leadership, the qualities you learn in this are amazing. You can learn the same things in, on a wrestling mat that are with, with your chances of concussion and, uh, you know, big time injuries a lot. The odds are a lot lower. Where do you stand on it? And is football just a game to where like get out there and pop Warner without any core development and go tackle head down without with coaches that probably aren't yeah. coaching right? Or do you are you with the mindset of well maybe when he turns fifteen seventeen and his mind his body's developed and his, he's a little smarter I might let him put some pads on or by that time is it too late? Where do you sit on that, David? So I started playing football when I was in kindergarten. Uh, I wasn't forced to. Uh, I was a bigger kid. You know, like every kid, I started playing t-ball and soccer at a super young age. Um, and I just, I didn't like soccer. I, I didn't mind baseball. Baseball, I wasn't very good at baseball. My dad played baseball. And so we kind of butted heads in that sense. Um, whereas football, he didn't play that much. And I was kind of more of my, you know, I felt better playing that. Um, so if I have a kid and they want to play, I'll let them play. Um, I won't make them play. Uh, I am the biggest fan of this game. This game's given me a chance to get a college degree, which I got to go back to do. It's what I do for a living. If it wasn't for this game, I probably wouldn't have met my wife. Um, you know, wouldn't met a lot of the cool people and opportunities that I've had in my life. Um, and I think, you know, there comes a point if my son says, you know, I don't want to play, then that's fine. And, um, but there's going to come a point if he wants to go play college football and then after, at that age, I know what I'm getting myself into. I know there's a risk for maybe having some health issues or tear my body up. Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, life's fragile in general. Look at what we're going through now. Uh, you know, I, I've never, I've broken fingers and wrists playing football, never major injuries, no major football surgeries. I got a blood clot on a flight this summer and, uh, missed the whole football year no football related, uh, one in six people die of blood clots is what I was told from the doctor. So, you know, but you don't hear people, you know, saying bad things about flying on airplanes. Um, so, you know, but I think you also, you know, but you also are getting beat up on a daily basis through practice, through spring trip, through, you know, the, the fall workouts into the, into the season, the preseason, postseason, all of it, long career, I watched a documentary called Beyond the Mat just about professional wrestling and it had Terry Funk on there and about like the dude can barely walk after 30 years of wrestling, right? And he's faking it. Like they get hurt. Like those wrestlers get hurt, but they are faking the fighting, but they really do sustain some some serious injuries. I would think that that you would be more apt to are you saying that through football that on, on a Monday you're not on a couch with ice bags on both of your knees and a masseuse over there and, and, and just beat to, to like, you don't even feel like walking on a Monday or is it not as bad as it looks from the public, you know, from the outside looking in? I mean, I think it's bad. I, I don't think there's and also a difference is there's a lot of people that can't do that day in and day out. Like we can, uh, there's a lot of great athletes in the world and there's a lot of, big, strong people in the world, but they can't take the beating day in and day out. Uh, you know, we lift and run sprints on Monday. So, uh, you know, we'll get back, we'll get back at, you know, 4 a.m., sleep for three or four or five hours, get up and go work out Monday, you know, at noon, um, and then meet all Monday afternoon. So, um, you know, it's a grind and it's tough and there's days where you wonder why you do it. But then, you know, when you're holding up a Lombardi trophy or, winning on a Sunday afternoon uh, with the guys and feeling like you accomplished something. I mean, there's just nothing like it. Uh, you know, I, I never won a, you know, championship in college, uh, but still love the game. You wanted to go out there and compete. And it's just something I think that gets inside of you and you can't let it go. And, uh, you know, I know, I know now that if there's going to be a chance, maybe one day that, you know, maybe I, you know, I struggle walking or something, but, you know, I know people that, you know, bodies break down that didn't play a professional sport. And, you know, that's just life. And it's a gamble I'm really willing to take. And, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of people that play this game for a long time and are healthy. So, um, you know, I think it's just, you know, you got you to gotta take care of your body too. 
Uh, I think now we know a lot more about research and how to take care of your body and, um, a good you point. know, things like that. And, and then you also, I think on top of that, two careers are shorter now, you know, guys place eight, nine years and obviously a lot more money's made now. And so they're able to walk away from the game. Whereas a guy had to, you know, play a lot longer, you know, in the eighties and, you know, a lot earlier and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think guys take care of their body a lot more, uh, nowadays too. We know so much more about that. And so, you know, who knows? We'll see. Um, very, like, very, very good answer, dude. You got, uh, it's almost like you have been, um, had a, a speech writer and you're on a campaign. Like you were legitimately thought out, dude. I, I mean, that's a great, you, you just educated me on, on a few different things in your answer. And I think it's a great way to look at it. And as long as you accept responsibility of it and you understand what could happen and the odds of, you know, you know, the concussion part is what scares me. That's just like a weird deal that you should never have to go through in life. And I remember Tony, my good friend, Tony, how many he had as a lineman. And it's just, nobody under, nobody really attributes the amount of pressure being put on your head and all of the big claws just coming up and slapping your helmet and grabbing your face max and jolt, jolting your neck. And there's just a lot of that going on down there in the trenches. And that's why they call it the trenches. But I don't think the general public watching the game on TV, because a way more people watch a football game on TV than there are live. I don't really think you get the gist of what you're really going through every freaking snap. It just, no. it just seems like there's a lot of damage being done. It is, it is. And, uh, you know, there's definitely some tough days, days that are tougher than others. And, uh, you know, but like I said, if, if it, the game of football has a hold of me and, uh, you know, the same way duck hunting has over you and, you know, you eat, sleep, breathe it. And it's all you can think about. And that's just how I am. And with uh, just football, David, or are you like that with, with hunting as well? I mean, I so want to get into so I want to get I want to get into that a little bit, but I have one more football question before we uh, answer that one. I want to know two things, and you don't. I, we're going to talk more about football. Don't get me wrong, but and I'd love to do other podcasts with you and on our hunting podcast. But we are going to get into the outdoors. What is the biggest mistake you've made in your professional career? Was it forgetting a play? Uh, no. Did you did you not fill a gap and, and Brady got destroyed? Did you fumble? Did you were you an eligible lineman downfield to receive and you dropped a pass? What's the biggest mistake you remember making professionally? Physical yeah, that, mistake. That's so hard because you're gonna mess up, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna get you know Marshawn Lynch said it, you're gonna get got like somebody's gonna beat you. And, and the greats, you know, I mean, you know, Tom Brady, whoever paid me, they've all thrown interceptions. They've all lost games. Uh, so it's just, it's part of it. My, one of the biggest times where I'm just like walking off the field defeated, uh, 2016, we play, uh, I guess I'll go back 2015. I come in, I started the first 10 games in the middle of the 10th game on Monday night football. I get benched against the Buffalo bills. I got benched, uh, didn't play two weeks, started the 13th game, got benched after that and kind of played, you know, sparingly. Uh, so that toward the end of that season, that was pretty tough getting benched, then uh, playing another game, then getting taken out. Like it was just up and down toward the end of the season. That was tough. And that was accumulation of a lot of mistakes and being a dumb rookie. Uh, but 2016, we played the Houston Texans uh, in the divisional round playoffs at home, I'd given up two sacks the whole year and a one playoff game. Uh, I doubled my sack total. So I gave up two sacks in that game. We won the game. I felt like we lost the game. Um, and that was a sh pretty shitty feeling. You know, I just, how did you, you know, give up the sack? Your, your block beat I, you. They, they did a scheme that put a really good pass rusher on me one-on-one. -on -one. And his athletic ability, uh, yeah, it was something I wasn't prepared for and uh, just didn't do a good job. And uh, he's the first move, uh, he hit me and wiggled. And I had him on an edge, but Tom got flushed. And if there's anything people know about Tom Brady, he's not very fast. Uh, so the play kind of broke down and uh, ended up getting a sack. The next one, 
he hit me with the same move and I thought I had him and then he spun. And I, when he spun, I just, it put me in a blender and uh, yeah, that was the second sack of the night. And it just wasn't a great game on top of that. Um, so that was, that was probably like in game where I'm just like, damn, that was bad. It's definitely that 2016 Houston's game. What does the line coach say when you get to the sidelines? Does he grab you by the face mask and jump up and just start laying into you? <laughs> so our offensive line coach, he just retired. Uh, his name was Dante Skarnacchia, the greatest offensive line coach in the game. Um, and that's just not my opinion. A lot of people will say that. And uh, he was he was a small human. And it was always so funny to me, especially this year, not playing them, kind of watching from afar. Is this small man just jumping down the throat of these massive humans. <laughs> uh, he was a Marine. Uh, he is as tough as they come. He's tough as nails. And I think he dog cussed me for a couple minutes. And then, you know, <laughs> but then there comes a point where he like, he's like, then he tries to coach you and now you're pissed off. And like, uh, you know, he's, he's the greatest coach of all time for me, but. Uh, yeah, he probably had some really choice words. Does it me. happen again when you're breaking down film a couple days later? Do they just ride yeah. you and start – or do yeah. they tease you? Does it become a little bit more comical at that point? No, it will become comical. Like, you know, it's funny now because uh, the two offensive guards with me, one came in with me, and so we've played pretty much every game together. And then the other one came in a year after us, so we're all really close on the inside three. And, uh, you know, so we all know, like, you know, that Monday's tough that's a tough day when it's your day. Um, but then where it gets comical and a little bit more joking when like now, like since we're usually right now we would be going in and meeting and uh, going over stuff and plays from the year before, like two years ago, come up, it's a little bit more joking. Like, you know, and the offense coordinators looking back at you, like, what are you doing here? And like, cause he's already, you've already been coached on it. Uh, but it's a lesson that everyone needs to learn now. So, you know, you already got your whippings and lashings, you know, that Monday after the loss or, or even when some of the worst meetings are a win that you don't play good. What is, what does Brady say to you after he gets bamboozled for the second time in that playoff game? Does he rip into you too, or does he just pat yeah. you on the ass and say, yeah, so, it, you know, sacks, they're going to happen, right? You know, you just, you know, I think last 2018 playoffs, we didn't give up a sack, which was pretty impressive, but for the most part, they're going to happen. Uh, so, you know, the first one, you know, if it was a good player, he gets it, let's go. Hey, keep it moving. After the second one, if you know, you slacking off or the worst is if there's a mental error and you get beat. So, you know, if there's a miscommunication someone just doesn't pick up a guy. That's what you don't want. That's where, you know, because that could have been avoided. Whereas, you know, you get beat, it's going to happen. Let's get going and move on. But it's when there's a mental error and you don't pick up a you know blitzing linebacker or something like that. That's when uh, that's when you just want to get to the sideline as fast as possible. What's but on the other hand, when you do good and, and Brady wins an MVP or a Super Bowl title with the Patriots, what's the best gift you ever bought? Did he get you a, a, a Bentley? Did he get you a nice steak <laughs> dinner? Do you get a bottle of Dom Perignon? What, how, what does Brady do to splurge his offensive line when y'all win or do oh, a good man. job? This year we got, uh, so he gets us Christmas gifts every year. Um, he used to get us, they used to be an Uggs. Uh, I guess he had some type of Uggs thing. So we, I got, you know, seven pair of Uggs slippers. Um, uh, Beats by Dre, the headphones. Uh, he would always, every year, you'd always get some beats. I got, I think my nephew has seven pairs of beats and I have 10. So, you know, there's always headphones around. Um, and, uh, but last year he got us a, like a battery pack. It's called like boosted scooter. So that was, that's been pretty fun. I like it. I take my dogs, make them chase me behind it. You know, when I, it's a nice day out here, uh, which we haven't had that many, uh, two years ago, he had us like, he got us so much Bass Pro gift cards, which I really liked. Uh, there's a Bass Pro like in our outside the stadium. There's like a shopping center, so there's a Bass Pro there. He got us a bunch of those. Um, have you heard of those Canada Goose jackets? Yeah, which I thought were kind of a ridiculous jacket, but up here they're so nice. So up nice. When it gets cold, uh, the uh, like he, iPad, wears, he wears that jacket, doesn't he? Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I've they're awesome wearing. jackets. They're unreal uh iPads uh watches uh 
let's see what else he's got in us. Always, so, always so he's he's pretty he's pretty generous man is when it comes to taking yeah, care of his boys. It's kind of a tradition in the NFL is you get your offensive lineman a gift as a quarterback. So he's taking care of us pretty well. So We've the last a, time the last time I saw you was in Boston at Fenway though. No. Really cool place. Unreal. I mean, like like you can't not beat Fenway Park or the environment or culture around it. Why do you like Zach Brown? Do you only like Zach Brown because you guys are from the same state or does his music really do it for you? What, why are you there at that concert? And do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy those kind of nights? You and your old lady like to get out and have a, an adult beverage and, and dance a little bit in the pit and, and listen to some good music. Is that one of the things that relaxes the NFL part of you? Um, I know we're going to get into hunting, but is music a big part of that as well? Zach Brown specifically? Yeah. I, uh, you know, grew up in Georgia, obviously I got my Georgia hat on and, you know, my wife's from Georgia. So we love the state of Georgia. And, you know, one of the coolest venues that a lot of people cut their teeth on, you know, coming out of Georgia, the Georgia theater in Athens. Uh, Zach's got a live album. I think it's the passage Jar album. That's from uh live passage Jar from uh, the Georgia theater. Yeah, Cause it burnt album. down. He it burnt down. And so he put on a live concert to raise money for it. And I'm pretty sure it's like the, it's got like, can't you see he's covering? Can't you see with like uh kid rock? It's just what it's probably my favorite. Li- and I love live music too. So it's probably my favorite live album, but he, uh, yeah, man, I love getting out and I just grew up on country music. Um, my dad, my dad's not a big sports. He is a love sports, but he's not a great athlete. He's a singer. And so I grew up with him singing country songs and that's just kind of been, my life and uh you know i uh anytime i can get out and see a country show you know i I want to um you know and it's amazing how many country acts come through up here and how big country music is up here uh you know i think what was he was he there like three nights uh three yeah there's he's usually does two but two years three years ago he was the first act and i think that was the concert we were at yeah, it was that. It was the second night or the third night of that. But it was he. He sold. He sold it out like thirteen times in a row or whatever. It's a record. But he's the only person to sell it out three nights in a row on the same tour. Um, he played it on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, or Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday. And man, you talk about an atmosphere. Like Billy Joel's been there. Paul McCartney's been there. I know several acts go through there. But Zach has a weird connection with that part of the country. It being is. a being a country boy from Georgia and coming out of the the shoot with a song called Chicken Fried, he has an unreal fan base in jersey and or in jersey all the way to new england and that whole area there is like they're just in new york i mean they're obsessed with zach brown yeah. no and i think you know i think even though chicken fried has a lot about the south and stuff it's just a blue collar kind of feeling song awesome song and that's one thing that i've you know love about being up here in new england is the respect for the people just up here in general there's a lot of blue collar hard-working folks uh, you know, and I think that's kind of why the Patriots and New England get along is, you know, you've got these hardworking players and, you know, maybe not the big name, the super big name players, but they work their tails off and then they become big name players. And, you know, the city, you know, loves them and we love the city back. And, uh, you know, so I think, I think just, I think that's the thing about country music is, yeah, there might be stuff about the South and, um, you know, whatever and Georgia Pines, but, you know, we all can relate to the, just the hardworking core values uh, that the music talks about a lot of times. Are you, I'm going to drop another Georgian on you. That's literally probably my favorite songwriter in music right now. Brent Cobb. I like Brent a lot. Oh my gosh. Is he not unreal, man? He is awesome. Talk to me about Brent Cobb a little bit. He's from, he's from Cobb, uh, Georgia. I've never met him. Uh, I met a lot of people, a lot of artists from Georgia. That's, you know, another cool thing about, doing what I do, you know, they like us and we like them. So, you know, it kind of works out. Uh, I can remember my dad going like, this might've been when I was in high school. I'm pretty sure. Uh, he was like, go listen to this song. It's called down a dirt road in Georgia. And it was by Brent Cobb. And God, I don't know how old that song. I'm like 90% sure it was like eight years ago. Cause I would have been in high school. And, and, you know, and then he came out with the album, what, like two years ago, that big album. Uh, where he's got like, I grew up going, my family's from Alabama and we had land down in LaGrange, Georgia. 
and he has a song what's it called like south of atlanta and so like you know that to me hits you know i can remember you know us playing games on friday nights and then we all pile in and go down to our you know our hunting land on you know friday night and you know that song just kind of brings back those nostalgic feelings. And, you got you just you gave know. me chills that song, man. South of yes. Atlanta, and where Dixie still flies, and and then you you got like Shine on Rainy Day, which like you cannot like I'm a grown ass man, and I will shed a tear every time I no. hear it. I don't know. He's just got a, his new song that he just released. The world is ending. Like if you listen to the the lyrics, I haven't listened to that one. You got to, David. After we get off, go download the world is ending and just listen. And then you hear the story of he wrote this song 11 years ago, and it literally feels like it was written during for this virus. Wow. Um, and I don't know if you watched Luke Combs' Facebook in the last week, but did you? Luke Combs got four like 4.5 million hits in 24 hours on that new song that he's releasing right Six now. Six feet called, away or whatnot. Yeah, Brent wrote that with him over over facetime so they oh, write wow. it they wrote it in like three hours the other day and rob snyder who's also written a couple hits with luke combs um she got the best of me in another yeah. one uh, they wrote it over facetime and now it's like it's blowing up That's dude. but that that song and then his new album, Providence Canyon, which is an area in Georgia. That's the one, that's the one I was thinking about. Oh, man, dude. Yeah. That song he wrote on there called King of Alabama is about Wayne Mills, his buddy in Nashville that got okay. shot and killed. And then he's got the song Providence Canyon's amazing. And then the song, like, it, it would probably be you at an outdoor wedding, the one about tomorrow, you know, tonight, the morning's going to come. Yeah. Look, look at old barefoot dancing across yeah. the outdoor. I mean, he's just he's just clever, man. So I liked it. Well, probably one of my favorite ones of his is uh, Ain't a Road Too Long. Oh God! I love that. That's just a good crack of beer. Go back, go back, like go back to October, maybe November, December, somewhere. I don't, and listen to the, he's been on the podcast a few times, but listen to his first episode and we break down like, um, like digging holes. That album is, I've been working in a coal mine that, and, and then he like his outlook on life and how he pulls these magic words out of the air. And I'm just like, the way he does it, but listen to that podcast and I'll introduce you guys. He's, he's, he's just a great, great human being. And he's, he's just got a knack for it, but I, there's been a lot of talent. I mean, Travis Tritt's in Georgia. Like he's, yeah, I mean, he, Travis he got, Tritt's one of the best of all time. You got Travis. I love, I, he, uh, I saw Travis do an acoustic show, uh, when I was in college and it was just unreal, just him and a guitar. And he was coming up here uh, I don't know when it's probably been canceled or rescheduled for, and he was doing another show. And I was like, I called my buddy. I was like, dude, if I can get us backstage, you got to come to this show. And I, I you know, haven't even looked at it now because well, now it's know, canceled. I'm sure yeah, well, I mean, most of them are, but, you know, who knows when that's going to start happening again, but yeah, no Travis, you know, and then you got, you know, there's so many guys, the Luke Bryans, Jason Aldean. I mean, it's just, the Georgia Bradley Peach Gilbert, pick, the Georgia the Peach Pickers. Pickers, Red Atkins is probably one of my favorites of all times. Oh, that ain't my truck in her. Oh my truck. gosh, he's written he, so uh, many freaking hits, and he's a turkey hunting mofo, and just a to- Dallas Davidson. I mean, there's yeah. so much freaking talent that has come out of that. St- I mean, Zach Brown's arguably the best of all. I mean, his Grammys and his freaking he's just an unreal and, musician. Oh, dude, his guitar picking like he's on a different level, different level of songmanship, man. Unreal. I think it's cool that you have, uh, you got that. That's kind of your little uh, escape there. And then your other escape. I got to ask you this though. Have you learned how to cook a good chowder yet? A chowder. Have you learned no, a good chowder being up there? No, I haven't. You know, I can, I might've burned myself out of chowder my first few years. <laughs> uh, Cause I do love it. You know, the got to get the Tabasco in there and you know, but I have not learned how to do it. I did this summer. So I did a, like a low country bowl for the 4th of July on the Cape for some people. But then, uh, you know, instead of doing crawfish and stuff like that, we did these things called steamers. Oh yeah. And we did full lobsters. So, uh, Oh, you, you know, it was, guy. it you was, yeah. Right. It was a low country bowl with a Boston influence. So I love it. You have corn on the cob in there. Yeah. Corn sauces, you know, the whole nine. You, just threw down. you ever do artichokes? No, I, I've never done art in there. Put it in there with it or and cauliflower. Interesting. And no, the artic- and, a, and a boil, like you know, a southern boil where they like their heat, their spice, they the the artichoke holds it retains that flavor and that spice so well. Like kind of like corn does, but just on a, a better taste level, oh. I think, in my opinion. But yeah, I love I 
Boston's special, man. When you get over the like Cape Cod and, and the lobster up there and the seafood, I could eat that diet seven days a week, no problem. Not not necessarily the chowder. I get oysters. worn out of cream, but the oysters yeah, the, and all of that stuff I could eat on in every meal of my even breakfast. Like I could have a crab omelet with egg whites every day of my life, I think. Yeah, no, the uh something that's special, like the you go to a restaurant, they got the lobster benedicts. Oh, oh gosh. Now that's it gets like rich you know what i mean like it's a lot like it might go, go take a nap after but yeah i'd rather eat crab consistently but i love lobster once in a while. I'm, I, I'm addicted I, to sushi i love sushi i love yeah. raw fish also you do you because a lot of people from the south look at it as bait i do i i'm i'm pickier i guess in the sense i don't do salmon roll i don't it's just not for me but i love the tunas uh that's interesting i love salmon see yeah, yeah i, I don't it. do the salmon roll but like tuna nigiri oh my gosh I'll eat all day. And we have some pretty good sushi restaurants. I was actually, we were talking about maybe going to Boston and getting some takeout this weekend. And I was thinking about going to my, Hey, Hey, sorry. Kimber. That sounds like a big uh, dog. Big yeah, dog. I, I got two German shepherds. Uh, but yeah, we were going to go, I was going to go get some sushi takeout this weekend from one of my favorites in Boston, but they're closed. So. I don't know. Yeah, it's, dude, it, it's amazing what we're learning right now of what we take for granted. Like just simple things like sushi takeout or going and sitting at a sushi bar. I would do anything to do that right now. Just you like, drink sake? Heck yeah, warm and cold. I like it. What's the cloudy kind called? I don't know. I don't know. That's, it's just cloudy. I don't drink. The Is clear it the kind. brand? No, it's just like, you know, when you pour it out in the glass, oh, it's like a little cloudy. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know what it's called, but my buddy knows a lot more about it than me. So I just tell him to you know, order it, but it's, I tell the people I want the cloudy sake and they know what it means. So tonight, what I got going right now in my, in my refrigerator, I prepared it last night over a, uh, an adult beverage one. I had one on a, a conference call last night of Jack Daniels on the rocks with a tiny bit of this, this seltzer water. And it turned into two because after I got off this conference call, I was like, man, I'm going to get dinner ready for tomorrow night. So I started throwing down. I took these, I had my buddy, Brett Cannon, who I need to introduce you to because you're from Florida. He's from, he, he, you're from Georgia. He lives in Fort Lauderdale. You need to go out fishing with these guys in the off season. You would dig him. Um, he just sent me mahi, yellowfin tuna, and I ate all of that in the first two days raw. I didn't eat the mahi. I, I have eaten the mahi since then, some of it, but not raw. The ahi, the yellowfin raw, and then these swordfish steaks that last night I took them. I cut the membrane, the spine out of them, and I and I put them in on foil. And I took lemon zest, you know, the lemon wedge with yeah. with uh with the zest still on it, and I squeezed it on there, and then I kind of shaved some of the zest onto the fish. I took a little bit of Tony Chassery's and put that on there. And then I mixed up this, this, uh, this butter, this garlic, tiny, tiny bit of garlic. Cause I don't like garlic to overpower my fish. And I mixed it up in this butter and then I let it cold and kind of marbleize. And I took it right before it got hard and I just brushed it on the fish and let it sit overnight into, and I let it like drain in there. So I'm going to take those and I'm going to set them actually on the grill because the substance of a swordfish can handle the, the heat of a grill and it won't just start flaking off like a walleye would or, or yeah. a mahi. And I'm just going to grill them on there until they're meat, you know, the, the right internal temperature and dude i'm telling you like when i opened it up this morning the smell that hit me i was just like i love freaking seafood i could eat seafood every day of my freaking life man there's there's nothing better to me than either i love fishing in farm ponds i could sit there and oh, fish you could and eat crappie and freaking crappie bluegill and bass all day and just take them right there clean them fry those jokers up have a fish fry that night or sit at the beach, catch fish all day, go home, throw them on the grill, cook them however you want. Oh, there's to me that right. Those two things. There's oh my God. There. So in the last, Fresh in the last, fish. in the last, yesterday I had T-Bone on from Bone Collector and the day before I had Waddell and Nick Mutt on and Waddell and T-Bone are, you know, they're stuck in quarantine in Georgia. They're eating brim. And I'm like, a brim is a bluegill. So stop calling them brim. They're like, they're brim. And I'm like, they're bluegill. And they're like, yeah. but anyway, we came to the agreement that, that we, they're all pan fish, right? So T-Bone and Waddell threw down their favorite recipes of me about, man, this catch and release shit, it don't work. We, we, we release them right into Lake Crisco, right? Yeah. So they're, so then they give me their recipes. And then the week before I had Brent Cobb on again, and he goes, he goes, Hoss, you know what I'm doing right now? I said, what's up? He goes, I just caught 35 brim with my cousins and my and my family, and they're already ready for grandma's grease. So he gave me his cornmeal recipe. So I'm sitting there going, 
gosh dang we don't we don't have good blue bluegill fishing out here we don't have crappie fishing out here we yeah. don't have perch you know you can go get perch up in like minnesota and the dakotas and, and yeah. iowa and stuff and then you have walleye up there which is my favorite fish in north america but the brim that which the bluegill and the the crappie are hammers right and then waddell's like chad I, I've never caught a bass that I didn't eat, you know, when I was growing up. So like I, I've eaten bass one time, but he's like, dude, bass is unbelievable. I love bass. But it's always love it's it. got it's gotten like this rap now with Bassmasters and FLW and all of that of like, you know, you throw them back, right? They become the fish that you I mean, throw back a lot. I mean, I think though you got to know what you're like throwing back and what you're keeping. I'm gonna if I catch a six pound bass, I'm not gonna eat that bass. That bass is gonna go back. Those little fish that you got to get out of that pond. Oh man. Do you cook yeah. a bass the same way you do a crappie or a, or a bluegill? Yeah, just cornmeal fried up. Dude, we got to do that when this is over. In the, I mean, obviously, football is getting ready. To, when do y'all start? August or July or what? So we would be started right now. You'd have camp it's, right now, mini we were, camp right now? We were So we go like, it's called phase one, phase two, and phase three. Phase one is uh, we can have like an hour of meetings uh, four days a week, and then we work out for like two hours. And then that's for two weeks. Phase two is like, you can have like two hours of meetings or something, workout, and then on the field stuff with the coaches, just you can't hit. So there's no equipment. It's just all like footwork and movement stuff. And then that's for three weeks. And then phase three is like OTAs, which is basically full on practices, but you're just in helmets. Uh, and there's like time strains. So, you know, it's like eight to two or something like that. Uh, and that's for like four weeks. So that's what we would be doing right now. Um, but yeah, so and then we go off. We're off for like six weeks in the summer, and then start just toward the end of July. And I think that we kind of I want to do this more of like maybe we could have like updates from you throughout this season of how the quarantine's affecting this, and then when you get back and like see how your season's going. Now, are you going to start again after the the clot and sitting out a year? Are you projected to be the starter again? Well, you know, it's you got to earn your job every year, but you know. Um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, can get back to it. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. How are you feeling about it? You know, I feel good. You know, I, uh, this is usually kind of, you know, me and my wife usually go home back to Georgia in the off season. Um, and uh, this year we didn't because I had a bunch of doctor's appointments and stuff. I had to get cleared up with all that. And my wife went back to school uh, for like esthetician stuff. Um, and then obviously all this happened. So we've kind of been stuck up here. Um, so usually I'm back at home and I'm hunting and fishing and, you know, I'm kind of like, man, I don't want the season to start. I'm kind of enjoying life a little bit. And this year has kind of been the complete opposite, you know, especially once we got stuck up here, I'm like, man, I just want this to start. I just want to play. Like I haven't done it in a year. I just want to get out there and do it. And, uh, you know, but it is what it is. So, uh, you know, we'll see, but I'm definitely ready for it to come around. You are, huh? Yeah. I'm ready for a freaking fr fish fry, dude. Yeah, me too. That's, I mean, that's like, like I said, not being home, uh, not getting to fish, uh, you know, because back home, any pond has got to fish in it. Golf courses, neighborhood ponds, whatever. And then obviously, you know, you got all your farm ponds and stuff. But anywhere you are in the state of Georgia, you can go catch fish, basically. Uh, up here, it's a little different. It's cooler. Uh, the fishing's a little bit different. Uh, caught a pickerel i didn't know what a pickerel was and uh went to well, go what grab is it? it isn't that a walleye yeah i think it's similar i don't know if it's technically a walleye but they got teeth camber come here it's got like teeth and stuff so i went to go grab it and like i looked down i was like oh shit better not grab that thing yeah that's a walleye yeah, pickerel, uh, yeah. So, that's a good eating fish have you bit have you oh yeah oh my that's the best eating fish in the world dude Really? I'm telling you, that's that's that, and people are going to call in on this podcast and go, "You're an idiot building," but it's comparable to me to halibut. Really? Yes. I mean, it's that good. Now, if you go over to like the Chesapeake, and, and have you heard? Have you caught rockfish out in the ocean yet? Uh. -uh. Now, I'm sure if you went out in the bay, I, I guarantee they're all over that part of, of of Massachusetts. But in the bay, they have a rockfish, which is is in America down here in like California where we live. Uh, Lake Pal in Arizona is very prolific for them. They have them back east. They're called stripers or striped bass. Well, so, so that, that's, that's a rockfish. That's oh, a rockfish. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we fish. It blew my mind when I was a rookie. Someone was like, you want to go striper fishing? Well, we catch striped bass in big lakes, in the river. 
So I thought we were going to the lake. And we, next thing we pull up, I would pull up to the ocean. And I'm like, what are we doing here? I had no idea that striped bass live in the ocean. I, I went that's, back there. That's I'm, a great eating fish. Though. Oh man, dude. My buddy, Brad Forsythe, David in California makes, and I, when we were talking, I'm like, I have striper in the, in the, from the Sacramento river five days ago. And my buddy, Brad has this, when we were talking about Chowda, he's, he went to Boston with me the first year I went for Zach and he started making this striper chowder. Dude. Yeah, I know people that do that. Oh man, it's freaking phenomenal. So he'll freeze it for me and like send it up here on overnight dry ice. And, um, but the stripers, the stripers in like, uh, the, I was back for Benelli meetings and they're like, Hey, we're going for these rockfish." So we go out there and like, it's like lunch on the boat and like really nice, like, wow. but not like a nice boat, like an old beat up boat from the fifties. But these dudes just, these captains go all out for you. And we just start pulling in these stripers. And I'm like, these are rockfish. And they're like, yeah. And like, they go nuts for them over there where, you know, like crab over there is unbelievable. The oysters wow. are unbelievable. And then these guys throw down on these different recipes for stripers. And I'm just like, damn it. I wish I love where I live and I love Lake Tahoe, but I would do anything to have access to fish like that, dude. And that's that that's one thing that, you know, I've had a pre appreciation with being up here. Some of the outdoor stuff, uh, is just different experiences that, you know, I, I grew up hunting in Georgia and South Alabama and, you know, there's nothing to me that will ever beat it. That's what hunting is to me, but getting to do more hunting up here and fishing up here and, you know, I love fishing back home in Florida for redfish, speckled trout. You know, that's kind of like my favorite thing to do, uh, fishing wise in the Gulf. But so like doing that, this up there, you know, with the stripers, uh, I try to get out as much as I can. I just started getting into fly fishing. So I missed a striper last year on a fly rod. So I'm going to try to get one this year. Uh, you know, so it's, it's been pretty cool to see kind of what new England has to offer in the outdoor space. Is it hard for you to, you know, like you were talking about, you never, <clears throat> you never get married on a Georgia football game yeah, or a Patriots football game. Well, me, you know, like everybody knows that if their wife talks them into getting married in the fall, they know that I'm not going to be there. Right. I'm just like, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm in the duck blind. So you should probably wait until March to get married and I might be there, you know, kind of attitude. Is it hard being a pro football player and loving the outdoors? Because you, I mean, baseball players play all the way up until the World Series in late October, and then they yeah. get the they get some of the rut. They get the a good part of the migration if they're a Southern Duck hunter. Is it hard for you to you don't get as many days to do because you're playing all the way through January? A little bit. That's why I love turkey hunting because that's where I can really jump off and go and go. Yeah, especially in Georgia because you know back home it's been going you know, for over a month or right. Um, which I've missed. Um, we actually start Monday up Turkey. So I'm pretty excited about that, but that's kind of my being, uh, that I kind of dive into, but I can, remember, yeah, I told you earlier, we Friday nights and go off and go deer hunting all weekend. And so I went to college and, you know, I wasn't able to do that. There was no hunting. Fishing was very limited. Uh, and I just was kind of miserable and didn't want to do it. I wasn't starting as a freshman at Georgia and, uh, you know, any college kid, the first year at college is, you know, having fun, but then, you know, they're kind of like, you know, getting down, missing home. And a lot of my buddies, I had buddies that played baseball at Georgia. So they got out to go hunting all week, you know, and go hunting all fall. And, uh, so I called my dad one day and I was like, dad, you know, I just don't know if this is for me, man. Like I like football and all, but, yeah, I kind of miss deer hunting and I kind of just wanted to do all that. And, uh, he was like, all right, well, he's like, you know, if you, if you want to quit, that's fine. It's up to you. You make your own choices, but you're not just going to come home and hunt. You're going to have to get a real job. You're not going to go to Georgia anymore. You know, you can go to community college, figure it out and then figure out from there. And I was kind of like, but damn, getting a real job doesn't sound very well, funny. Now that you put it that way, dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now that you put, yeah. And he was like, look, David, you got four years left to play football, maybe more if you're lucky. And you can hunt the rest of your life. And he's like, you know, why That's don't you advice. focus every? Why don't you focus everything you're on on football? Because you can't play football when you're 50 years old. So why don't you focus everything you have there, and the rest will worry about later. You know, you can do it 50 years old though. You can get you and your dad a nice little deer lease, or buy a nice exactly. little piece of property with that NFL money, and, exactly. and enjoy so, it. You know, and pro way so, before 50, man, you might do yeah. that when you're 40. So that's kind of you know, it's been tough for me. Uh, you know, if I get a bye week, I'm definitely going to get in the woods, you know, once or twice. Um, 
you know, but it, you know, I kind of put all that stuff on the back burner a little bit, uh, this year, not playing. I deer hunted more than I deer hunted in the last eight years. Uh, I did my first waterfowl hunt. That was never, my dad never did that growing up. So it was never something I got experienced to. And, uh, so I did that. And then, you know, we don't have football right now and our Turkey season starts Monday. So, you know, so you're going to, you're going you're gonna to send me a picture and you're going to overnight me some Turkey breasts. Now that we got that I can out of do the that. way, I can hey, do that. So plan on uh, after the Super Bowl when y'all win the Super Bowl. Um, that's usually the first Sunday of February. Uh, yeah. Sunday. yeah, it's like the first of February. If you let's just assume that you do plan on meet me in California for the late season speckle belly hunt. And if you don't make the Super Bowl, plan on coming to California in January when the season's over and getting after some specks and puddle ducks. That sounds like a plan. I'll to pick me. you up at the airport. You're not in a private jet. Will Tom fly you out there? <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> Maybe if he was still here. But. You know, the, the ongoing comment I always hear about Tom Brady is that his wife makes more money than him a year. And I go, that is not necessarily scientifically proven yet. All right. I mean, she's a great model. She was a big time model. I don't know if she still is, but they say that she made a pretty good living. Well, I can remember we were after my rookie year, you know, all the tabloids at the checkout market. So we're sitting there checking out and it's, I don't know, people mag, some magazine. And it was like a picture of them at the beach. And it was like Giselle and NFL husband. And I was like, I can't, it doesn't even say Tom. NFL husband. <laughs> my wife, like, yeah, like he was just like, it was me. You know what I mean? Like, like this dude is the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Like, you know, and then That's my wife crazy. was like, yeah, but David, like, you don't realize like she is so much more fit than he is like worldwide. Like, yeah, Tom Brady is Tom Brady in America, but like worldwide she is. Giselle and so I was kind of but you know I mean I don't I knew who she was obviously but I don't know anything about models I don't really care like and it blew my that like what I was like realized like wow she is so much more famous than he is worldwide she is I mean it's she's big time let's do this again man let's have a, a foul life episode coming up about just the outdoors and then we'll have we'll stay in touch as far as the season goes and what's going on with your starting position in the season how it's laying out Man, I appreciate you being here. I think it's a tremendous honor to have you on as well as congratulating you on being an NFL athlete because just a very, very small percentage of those guys that play under the Friday Night Lights in high school or even lower than that in Pop Warner make it. So stay humble, man. You're a great dude, and I think that uh, it shows that you uh, you were obviously brought up the right way. You got a good head on you, and I'm glad that your dad talked you into staying at Georgia. Yeah, me too. And, uh, let's do it again, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to hit you up one of these days for a uh, maybe a jersey or a helmet sign for the studio. Do it. Let me know. I'll get it out to you. You the man, brother. I'll, I'll be in touch. I'll text you and we'll get another episode planned. I'll let you know when this one's coming out. That's David Andrews, New England, New England Patriots starting center. Absolute badass. Humbled as they come. Loves the outdoors. Loves family. Just loves the entire culture of the area that he lives in New England right now. So support him. Great lifestyle. And again, common bond is the outdoors, man. Appreciate you, buddy. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Again, brought to you by our friends, Lynchburg, Tennessee, Jack Daniels, America. Enjoy it responsibly. Tom, hit that button. This is Leith Lofton, written by Leith and our good buddy, Drake White. What you going to do when the money's all gone? I'd rather be poor living off in a hole. Riches hill without a soul. Life on earth won't last too long. So what you going to do? When the money's all gone Gemini yeah,